0: Thank you, Church. That's really kind. Uh, if any of you know me, my name's Rich. Um, I'm the youth pastor here at King's Church High Wycombe. Well, I have uh, three kids, three young kids: uh, Natalie, who's seven; Samuel, who's five; and Anna, who's one. And one of the favourite books is this book called "The Smartest Giant in Town." Does anyone know that book? The story of the smartest giant in town. Some of you here. This story is about a giant called George. And right at the start of this story, George buys a new outfit. And he loves this new outfit. And and he's walking home from this shop. And what happens is he runs into all these different animals in need. And because George is like he is, he gives away parts of his outfit to these animals. So his tie becomes a scarf for a cold giraffe. His shoe becomes a house for a little white mouse. To the point where he even ends up giving away his belt to a dog who is crossing a bog. See, this guy gives and gives and gives until his trousers fall down. And if that is not an example of radical generosity, then I don't know what is. See, we're looking at this series on generosity. Now, to be, character, to be, to be radically generous, to be generous to the root, generous to the core, is to be characterised by generosity and selflessness and kindness in every area of your life not just in the area of money. This is far bigger than just being about money. This is about your heart. This is about your heart. And I've been given this subject today, generosity in relationships. And when I first heard that subject, I was kind of like, this is a big subject. This is a huge thing to address. See, I'm sure if you're like me, you will love generous people. I love being on the receiving end of other people's generosity. And since we've been part of this church, me and my wife, we've experienced incredible generosity in this church. People who've brought us gifts. People who've cooked meals for us. Friends who look after our kids so we can go out and enjoy some time together. People who are sacrificial with their time and their words and their prayers. People who are so generous. This is a generous church. And you know, generosity is so important in relationships. Well, we're going to look at a very specific form of relational generosity this morning. We're going to look at forgiveness. And you might ask, what does forgiveness have to do with generosity? Well, the answer is everything. Absolutely everything. See, the truth is there will be people in your life who owe you in some way. It might be that they owe you money. Maybe they've borrowed from you and never paid it back. But more likely they'll owe you in a way because they've hurt you, they've wronged you, they've taken advantage of you. And we see we all carry these little you around with us. And they affect the way that we do relationships with other people. It might be that it comes out in the way we speak to people, in our actions. It will certainly affect the thoughts that we have going around our head. And the point I want to make this morning is this, that being radically generous means choosing to release people from the debts that they owe you. And I believe we're going to be celebrating here this morning. I believe as we, as we set people free from the debts they owe us, I believe God is going to free us. He's gonna free us. You know, he's a God who always loves to free his people. It's what he's like. It's what his heart is, it's what he's always been like. He sets people free. I believe he's gonna do that here this morning. So it's worth saying, well, this afternoon now, sorry. So it's worth saying that, that forgiveness is a huge subject. This is a huge subject and we're not gonna be able to cover everything to do with forgiveness in this next bit of time. And you may have some follow-up questions after it. And that is why it's really, really important to be part of one of these generosity small groups. It means that you can go and talk about this stuff in the week. That you can unpack the stuff that I've talked about this morning. That any thoughts that are going through your mind, you can talk about in those groups. I also want to say that as we talk about forgiveness, I know that for some of you, this will be particularly hard. This will be a particularly big issue. Because we've all been hurt just as we've all hurt people but for some of you you may have been wronged in ways that are absolutely horrendous you've been through things that i have never been through and i don't want to pretend for one moment that i know what that is like for you or that forgiveness is easy And some of the examples that I use this morning to make a point are deliberately trivial. But that's not to make light of this issue at all. It's not to belittle it. Now, This is a huge deal. And I have confidence in the Lord this morning and in his power to bring healing and bring freedom in a way that changes people's lives here for good. So let's look at this subject. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to Luke 17. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke 17 verses 3 to 6 now. And then verses 7 to 10, slightly later on. So verses 3 to 6. Luke 17, 3 to 6. says this. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you that you're here. This is a huge subject. Lord, I ask that you would give me the sensitivity to handle this well. And I pray that you'd be speaking to your people here today. Lord, you love it when people are set free. You love your church. You love your people. I ask that you'd be working here today, that you'd be speaking to your people. Lord, we want to see freedom come this morning. We ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this passage is Jesus talking to his disciples about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, this is the impact that it's going to have on your relationships with other people. So for us, if we're going to follow Jesus, this is what it's going to look like at home. It's what it's going to look like at work. If you're at school, it's going to be what it looks like in the classroom or at university. This is what it looks like to follow me. And what Jesus is essentially saying is this, if you're my follower... You must forgive people. You must forgive people. And as you read that passage, and as I read it out to you, you might have thought there's a bit of a loophole in there. Because it says if Jesus, so it says if, people, if someone sins against you seven times, that you have to forgive them. Does that mean that on the eighth time you are free to start planning revenge against a person? It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. What it, what it means is this number seven was symbolic to Jewish people. It meant fullness, it meant completion, it meant perfection. So when Jesus says seven times... What he's saying is this, if someone sins against you again and again and again, still you forgive them. Or if someone sins against you in the most fully, most complete, most wrong way that it's possible for any human being to sin against another human being, still you forgive them. And you know what? That is staggering. That is a huge thing to ask and the disciples know that. It's why the disciples say, increase our faith. Another way of saying that is, but Lord, that is impossible. We cannot do that. We need help. And if you're going through your own journey this morning of trying to forgive someone for something they've done to you, you'll know how hard this is. Perhaps you respond in the same way. This is impossible. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at three things. Why we must forgive. What forgiveness costs And the secret of forgiveness. So first of all, why we must forgive. So Jesus says this really interesting line in verse 3. He says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Whenever someone wrongs you, watch yourself. Watch your mind. See what happens to your mind. See what happens to your heart. Pay attention to how you respond when someone wrongs you. Why does Jesus say that? The reason I think is this, is because unforgiveness is incredibly dangerous. Unforgiveness is dangerous, not to the person who's wronged us, but to us. It's to us. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now I'm not really much of a gardener, but we had to do some gardening this week. We have moved into a new house and in the garden we've got these bulrushes. And I thought we'd just dig these things up. But actually this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And the reason it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be was because these roots had gone down really deep. And they were hard, and they'd been there a while, and they were hard to remove. And it was almost like these roots have become part of the landscape, they have become part of the garden. And you know what, in a similar way, if you let anger and bitterness come in and stay in you, it will become a part of you. And it will change you. And you can become defined by unforgiveness. And it will impact your relationships with other people. Negative thoughts will start going round and round your head and you'll become afraid of trusting people. Your heart will become hardened and you'll become less generous as a result. And you know what? It can even make you ill. Unforgiveness can make you ill. It can lead to anxiety and depression and have all kinds of negative effects on you. Galatians 5.1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. See, unforgiveness never ever leads to freedom. And God wants so much more for us, for his people. He wants us to live in freedom. So he says if you can find the strength to forgive, and we'll look at how we do that in a moment, if you can find the strength to forgive people over time, you'll find yourself becoming more generous and more trusting and more loving. To be radically generous in relationships means to forgive. So what does forgiveness look like? What does it look like? Well the reason we're talking about forgiveness as part of this series on radical generosity is because it costs to forgive. It costs to forgive. Just the same as if you're going to be radically generous with your money, it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt you. You might even look at your bank account and think, wow, this is, this is, this is hard. I'm giving away a lot here. And It becomes a test of faith. And in the same way to forgive and forgive and, be- and forgive becomes a test of faith. It's hard. And I want to explain two ways today in which forgiveness is costly. Two rights... That you need to give up in order to forgive the way Jesus calls you to forgive. And the first is this. To forgive is to give up your right to superiority. Now if you're anything like me, and I appreciate you may not be at all. If you're anything like me, what will happen if someone wrongs you is you'll immediately see yourself as higher and better than that person in some way. I'm going to give you a very trivial example to explain that. Let's imagine that you're driving down a road. And on both sides there are, there are lines of parked cars. So there's only room for one car to get through at a time down this road. And you notice that there's a car coming towards you the other way. So what you do, because you're kind, you pull over to the left behind the cars and you wait for that car to come through. You give them a little flash. And what you expect is that when they come through, the person's going to put up their hand to say thank you and it's all going to be really nice and kind. But what happens is they drive past you and they don't even acknowledge you. What is going through your mind at that moment? Here's what's going through my mind. I'm thinking, that person is so inconsiderate and so unlike me. I would never do that to another person. Jesus says, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Take another example. You're sitting on a train. And you're sitting in your seat and someone comes and sits down in the seat next to you. And they give you a bit of a knock as they sit down with their bag. But that's alright, you can forgive them that, you're kind. But what happens next is that they take out their mobile phone. And for the next half an hour, they're having a conversation on this mobile phone with a friend. And it's not just any conversation, this is a loud, shouty conversation. And you can't just hear what they're saying, you can hear what the person on the other end of the phone is saying too. Because it's so loud. What is going through your mind in that moment? For me, it's that person is so rude and so unlike me. I would never do that to another person. Now, I appreciate these are really trivial examples. And what you, when we talk about forgiveness, it may be that you're having to forgive, forgive something huge. And I'm, I'm not making light of that. I'm not belittling it. But our initial response is often to focus on the differences between ourselves and the person who has wronged us. Miroslav both puts it like this. Forgiveness flounders when I exclude my enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Forgiveness flounders when I exclude my enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. See, hard as as it can be to accept, particularly if you've been wronged in 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 a huge, horrendous way, the person that wronged you is a human being who is made in the image of God. They have value and they have worth and they have purpose and they are complicated. When someone wrongs us, what we tend to do is we reduce that person down to the action that they did against us. We think in very, very black and white terms. We exclude that person from the community of humans. The trouble is, when we wrong someone... We want people to see that there were reasons for it, that it was complicated. There was a backstory. And what we're saying is that we are complicated human beings, and that that other person is not. We exclude that person from the community of humans. The second thing we do is this: we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. See, Romans 3:23 says this: "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You just examine your thoughts, your actions, even for an hour, and you'll see that we've all sinned. And the Bible is clear that primarily our sin is against God. See, God made us, designed us to worship him, to be in relationship with him. And when we wrong another person, our sin is primarily against God. We all fail, we all fall short. We all owe God a huge debt. We all need to come to God for forgiveness. To to stay angry at another person is to assume in some way that you have a higher or better nature than that person. You exclude yourself from the community of sinners. You think, I'm better than that person. And you know, in lots of ways, you may be. But when we stand before a holy, mighty God, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. So to forgive is to give up your right to superiority. Here's what that looks like in real life. Many of you will have heard the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie was a, a Christian who lived through the Second World War and she spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. And this is a woman who knows better than anyone really what it's like to be wronged by other human beings. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she tells the story of her terrible treatment At the hands of the Nazis in this concentration camp. How she suffered incredible abuse. How her sister was killed in this camp. And she says that years later, after this experience in this concentration camp, she was preaching on forgiveness. Just like we are this morning. Talking about this whole area of forgiveness. And what happened was, as she reached the end of her talk, a man approached her from the back of the room. And she recognised this man as being one of the guards in the concentration camp. And he walks towards her. And she writes this. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness, any more than on our own goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. See, this woman, Corrie Ten Boom, had suffered terrible treatment. Yet she saw that just as Jesus had died for her, Jesus had died for this man too. To forgive in a radically generous way is to give up your right to superiority. To think this person may have wronged me in so many different ways, but before God we're in the same boat. We're all sinners who need forgiveness. Second thing, to forgive is to give up your right to repayment. See, the word that Jesus uses for forgive is a specific word that means to release someone from a financial debt. Here's the thing, when someone wrongs you, there's a debt. And it doesn't just disappear, someone has to pay the debt. And the question is, who? Who? I was having a really interesting conversation with one of our young people recently and and he told me this. He was talking about his relationship with his brother and he said that his brother used to really wind him up. So what he would do when his brother used to wind him up was this, he would punch his brother. Very normal brotherly response I guess. He would hit his brother. But this young man loves Jesus and he made a decision to forgive his brother. And what that looked like for him was that every time his his brother wound him up, he chose not to punch him. He chose not to hit him. And what he said to me was interesting. He said this, that it hurt not to hit his brother. It hurt him. Whenever he made that call not to punch his brother, it hurt him. Why did it hurt because he was giving up his right to repayment and he was absorbing some of the cost himself. Do you know this stuff is hugely countercultural and hugely counterintuitive? Because the natural thing is that we want to take revenge, we want to make the person pay for what they've done to us. So, someone makes our life miserable, we want to make that person's life miserable. Someone destroys our reputation, we want to destroy their reputation. Someone hurts us in some way, we want to hurt that person. And even if it doesn't play out outwardly, this stuff goes on and on in our minds. And we replay what this person did to us. We replay the video of it in our minds and we want that other person to fail and to fall. And when we hear that they do, when we hear that something's gone wrong in their life, something in us cheers because it's payback. And you know, at the time, it feels good. Short term, revenge feels good. Jesus says again, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Because with all these thoughts that you have, and you think that you're hurting another person, you think that you're hurting the person who's wronged you. What you're doing is hurting yourself. This person may have gone on with their life. But actually, it's you that's stuck in this unforgiveness. It's you that's stuck in this rut. Unforgiveness never, ever leads to freedom. See, as unfair as it is, the only answer is to give up your right to repayment and to absorb the cost yourself. Dan Hamilton um, wrote a little book on forgiveness. He puts it like this. Pain is the consequence of sin. There's no easy way to deal with it. Wood, nails and pain are the currency of forgiveness. The love that heals See, forgiveness has always looked like this. Forgiveness has always been costly because what did it cost God to forgive you for the things that you've done wrong? Was it that God just overlooked that sin? No, it's that Jesus absorbed it on the cross. He took it. And for Jesus, it looked like nails and pain and crucifixion. That's what it takes that's what it takes to forgive so when you're able to release another person when you absorb the cost yourself you give up your right to repayment what is going on is you're becoming more like jesus you're becoming more like the son of god and here's the wonderful thing that when you do that when you choose to release a person from the debt that they owe you you find that actually it's you who's released it's you who goes free it's you who finds freedom so how do we do this I appreciate, I've been preaching on this, this is the third time I've preached on this this morning. This is a huge deal. This is a hugely challenging subject. So how do, we, how do we find the strength, how do we find the power to forgive other people? We're going to come to that in a moment. We're going to look at what Jesus says in response. But first, I just want to say a quick thing on this word, rebuke. See, when I, when I read that passage to you earlier... Um, from Luke's gospel you may have noticed that Jesus didn't just say forgive he also talked about rebuking people and I believe there's a time when it's right to confront someone who's sinning against you it's not godly to allow someone to repeatedly sin against you but again watch yourself watch your motive for doing this see too much confrontation and rebuke is just revenge in disguise that's all it is if you haven't forgiven that person inwardly first, if you don't want the best for that person, no matter what they've done to you, then, then this is, that's not rebuke. It's, it's like you're going to speak to that person just to get revenge. And you know, too much of this stuff is played out on social media where everyone can see it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. This stuff should be done face-to-face, one-on-one, with the right heart, with wanting that person to flourish. And to do that, you need to forgive that person first inwardly. See, this stuff is so hard and so huge. And we might respond like the disciples. We might say, Lord, increase our faith. I can't do this. This is so hard. This seems so impossible. So what is the answer to this? What is the secret to becoming someone who forgives in hugely, radically generous ways? I believe the secret is this. is to understand who we are and who we're working for. I said we come back to Jesus' response. We're going to do that now. This is Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. He tells a story, as he often did. And when you first glance at it, you can think, actually, what relation does that have to forgiveness? What relation does that have to the question that disciples ask? Stay with it. I think there's something beautiful in here that, that Jesus wants to say to us. He says this. Suppose one of you has a servant... Ploughing or looking after the sheep? Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because, because he did what he was told to do? So you also... When you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We, are only, we have only done our duty. Now, as I said, this story is challenging. I've been wrestling with this throughout the, this week. It seems at first that Jesus is being really, really harsh. I believe he's actually being really kind to us. He's being, being really kind to us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that we have to remember that we are servants and that he is the master. He's the master, we're his servants. When we don't forgive, when we hold people to account, when we make them pay for the debts that they owe us, what we're doing is we're sitting in the judgment seat. We're acting like masters and not servants. And you might say to me, but that person, what that person did to me was so wrong. And if you knew what they'd done to me, you'd agree that they deserve punishment. And you know, you're probably right. You're probably right. But you're not God. And the Lord has seen what happened to you. And in his perfect time, he will deal with it. it. says in Romans twelve nineteen, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. See, forgiveness isn't about sweeping things under the carpet as if what happened to you didn't matter. It's about having the faith in God to know that he will deal with it. That he will deal with it. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. He's saying it takes faith to forgive. It takes faith to forgive. And it doesn't matter how big your faith is. You can have a tiny amount of faith. What's important is who your faith is in. It's in who your faith is in. It means trusting God to be the righteous master. You see, the reason that passage that I just read to you isn't harsh, isn't unkind, is because of what the master is like. It's because of what he's like. Do you know the master? Do you know what he's like? This is the God who created the universe. So what is he doing just a couple of days before his death? He's in a small upstairs room and he's washing his disciples' feet. That is extraordinary. He is so loving and so sacrificial. And he shows us what true love looks like. It looks like this. It looks like servanthood. It looks like servanthood. And you know, his whole life looked like this. This is the master who made himself a servant. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the beautiful thing that we now get to serve him. That we now have the privilege day after day of serving this wonderful servant king. And you know, we're never off duty from that. See, so we can sometimes think, I've done all this, I've, I've given all that, I've worked so hard for God, surely now he'll be satisfied with that. But Jesus says, You're a servant. This is what you do. Your life should be marked by servanthood. And he's not saying that our service to him is meaningless or useless. But he's reminding us of who we are. The privilege of our role of serving this incredible master. So even when we forgive forgiven people, we don't stop as if our work is done. We don't claim some sort of moral high ground. We just go on doing it again and again, day after day. All we're doing, you see, is what our master has commanded us to do. See, the work we do for God never ever puts God in our debt. Our service to God is done out of gratitude for what he has done for us. If we grasp just a glimpse of what he's done for us, we would fall at our knees and we would say, Lord, I will serve you. I will serve you day after day, even in this, even to the point of forgiving those people who have wronged me. Just to finish. One of Jesus' other teachings on forgiveness in Matthew Chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of the unmerciful servant. And in it, a servant owes his king this huge debt. He owes him these 10,000 bags of gold. And there's no way this servant can pay this debt back to this king. He worked all, all of his life. He can never pay this back. The debt is huge. But the king, in his grace, absorbs the cost and lets the servant go free. He says, you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay it. But what the servant does is he goes out and he finds a man who owes him money. Still a large amount, but nothing compared to the debt that the servant owed the king. And he makes that man pay. And Jesus says, no. It doesn't work like that. In his kindness... In his love, he says, see my generosity for you. See the way I gave my life for you. See the cross. See the way I gave myself up for you. See my radical generosity. See the freedom that I've won for you. See the debt that I've got rid of to set you free. Now go and live in the freedom of releasing other people from the debts that they owe you. See, that is radical generosity let's just pray for a moment Lord this is a huge topic but you you want what's best for us and you know us and you love us and you're so for us I thank you Jesus for what you did for us on the cross it's incredible I thank you for your wonderful demonstration Of what love looks like. And your whole life looked like this. Sacrificial love. And I ask that you would give us power. And strength. To serve as you served. Lord make us more. Like you. I ask that. In your mighty name. Amen.